بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين لا سيما بقية الله في الأراضين أجل الله تعالى فرجه الشريف اللهم أخرجني من ظلمات الفهم وأكرمني بنور الفهم اللهم افتح علينا أبواب رحمتك وانشر علينا خزائن علومك برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين This is our last session inshallah on unit 2 on theology Today we want to talk about polytheism or shirk in contrast to tawheed or monotheism we already talked about Tawheed. But uh, I want to mention today some arguments about Tawheed, uh, which might not be clearly mentioned in the book, and then talk about Shirk. Uh, our scholars and also Christian scholars, Jewish scholars, they have developed different arguments for unity of God. Because in all Abrahamic religions, we believe in unity of God. Some of the arguments that our scholars have developed, especially those with philosophical approach, can be discussed in this way. For example, we know that God is absolute and simple. God has no parts and there is no way of thinking any different parts or aspects of God in reality. And we said when we talk about different attributes of God, it's only different in our understanding and perception. It's not that knowledge of God is one side of God and power of God is another side of God or that outside we have different things as different qualities of God. All the attributes of God are identical with each other in existence and identical with the essence of God. It's one reality from which we abstract different concepts. Several times we have explained this. So God is absolute being, being without anything added to it because there is nothing other than being. Being without anything taken from it, there is no limitation for God. You know, if you, inshallah, study philosophy, you will see that for every contingent being, everything which is created by God, there is a mahiya, there is a whatness. For example, why we are different from each other? Why we are different from animals, why we are different from plants, why we are different from physical objects. We are all existent. We are all beings. What is the difference? The difference is in the type of being that we are. If you imagine a piece of paper in the shape of triangle, Another piece of paper in the shape of square. 
another in the shape of circle. What is the difference? The difference is not being paper. The difference is in the shape. But if you reflect further, you find the difference has been caused by the borders of their existence. Where they end makes the difference. Because a piece of paper which is in the shape of triangle, okay? So this shape shows where it ends, okay? The one which is circular ends in a circular way. The other one ends in a square way. But if you imagine we had a paper which never ends, has no end, then it would have no shape. And then it would not be possible to think of a second paper which has no end. We can think of different papers when they are limited. They have different size, different shape, different color, different material. But if you have a paper which has no limitation, you cannot think of a second for it. Or for example, if you think about concepts in a very absolute way. For example, I can think of white paper, white dress, white material like salt, like sugar, white in different shapes and forms and materials. Okay? What about whiteness? Whiteness as such. Can you think of two whiteness? If there are two, then what's the difference between the first and the two? The second. Serfoche, our ulama say in this way. Serfoche la yatathanna wa la yatakarrar. Serfoche means something in its absolute sense, something in itself cannot be repeated, cannot have a second. If you want to have two whites, you have to add something to whiteness. For example, to say there are two things which are white, but they are different in material, in size, in shape, in taste, in color, in place. One of them is here, the other one is there. In time, one of them is today, one of them is tomorrow, yeah? If from every aspect there is no difference and they are just white, you cannot think how they are then two. You understand? So if you just consider two objects which they share the same nature and there is nothing added to it, it can never be two. So we can never think of two wajibul wujud, two absolute beings, because there would be no difference between them. Absolute being means has no limitation, no border, nothing added to it, nothing taken away from it, so then it cannot be two. Therefore, when we say God is one, it is different from saying there is one person in the room, there is one book on the desk, I have one car, I have one child, this is different. When we say, I have one child, one car, one person, one book, you can think of second, third, and fourth. 
When we say God is one, we cannot think of a second for him. It's not just it has happened that he is one. We cannot think of a second because we cannot think of a second absolute being. Is it clear? So, wahid, unity in the case of God is very a strong type of unity for which you cannot think of a second or a third. Another argument for unity of God, which I think is very also powerful and very clear, is a new interpretation of the ayah in the Quran, which you find it in all Aqaid books, but I think this is a new interpretation of that ayah. The ayah is, Had it been the case that there were gods other than one God in the sky and the earth, they would have become corrupt. Okay? If there was more than one God, the sky and the earth would have become corrupt. So based on that, Mutakallameen, the theologians, have developed an argument which is called Burhanu Tamanu'ah. Tamanu'ah means two gods or more gods would be conflicting with each other. And as a result, there would be corruption. There would be facade in the world. Imagine if you have, for example, two kings in the same country, two directors for the same company. It creates chaos conflict if there were two gods for the same world there would be corruption okay this is one argument that uh, it's mentioned in many books and you can uh, inshallah uh, reflect about it and it's a good argument but i have another way of understanding the ayah and i say if there were two gods I'm not focusing on conflict between them. I am focusing on the corruption which would be caused in the world because the world would be then disconnected. How? Any creator has a special relation with its creatures. This is very important and if you remember the discussion we had about the relation between cause and effect, it would help. Cause and effect have existential relationship with each other. So when you have a cause and effect or you have a creator and creature, the relation is very, very intimate. More than the relation between sun and its radiations. Can you imagine sun disconnected from its radiations? No. It's impossible. So whatever is created by God is totally connected to God and cannot be separated from God. It's not that God creates something and leaves it over there. Then other people or other gods can come and, for example, you know, work with it. No. Imagine in your mind. Imagine. 
there is a person who is walking. This person who is walking in your mind is your creature. Yeah? You have created this person in your mind. This is one of the best examples for understanding the relation between cause and effect. Because you are here the cause and that person is the effect. Unfortunately, our power is very limited, so we cannot create a real person, but at least in our mind, we can create an image of a person who is walking. This image is your creation. Okay? This image totally depends on you. Even if you just forget or stop to think about it, it's finished. You, you don't need to say, okay, this person is causing too much you know, trouble for me. Let me go and kill him. You don't need to do that. Just if you don't want it, it's finished. If someone comes and speaks to you and diverts your attention, that's finished. Okay? So now, if in my mind, then I think of another person who is also walking. So one person, Mr. A, is walking in my mind and Mr. B is walking in your mind. Can these two people ever meet each other and shake hand? Never. Because each of them depends on his own creator. There is no way for them to interact. The person in my mind, the person in your mind, they have no way to know of each other, to encounter each other, to interact with each other. They cannot do any good or you know, harm to each other. Is it clear? So if we had two gods, then the world also would have become totally two different worlds. Then there would be no interaction between these two worlds. This is greatest facade. So we don't need to think of two gods fighting each other. Of course, you can think of that. I am not against that argument, but I'm saying it's worse than that. It's not that they will fight each other. There would be separation. There would be gap. So there must be only one God who has created this world which is very well interconnected and interwoven. What happens in one part of the world affects the other part of the world. And today with science, you know, we understand these things much better. How the world is well connected. Okay. These are two arguments for the unity of God and there are more arguments. In contrast to Tawheed, we have Shirk, polytheism. What is Shirk? Shirk can be sometimes an idea, a belief, sometimes can be a kind of practice. Sometimes people are mushrik, polytheist, because either they don't believe in one God, they believe in more than one God, okay? So they deny Tawheed Zati, 
Tawheed with respect to essence. Or they believe that qualities of God are different from each other. Or they believe that actions are not all actions of God. There are different doers in the world. Remember we said everything that happens in this world is an action of God. Our action, natural things that happen, everything is an action of God because there is no one in the world that can have any influence other than God. But we have hierarchy. For my voluntary actions, I am also responsible, but in the end, it's God. Okay? And we distinguished between the moral side of it, which is our responsibility, and the existential side of it. We distinguish between al-iradatu takwiniya and irada tashriya. Yes? So, the people who denied tawheed, either in the sense of having one God, or having unity of attributes, or actions, or they deny that only one person can be worshipped. There is one creator who deserves our worship. They say, no, we should worship other people, other objects. Any person who has any kind of these polytheistic ideas, he is mushrik. So mushrik is not the one who is atheist. Okay, mushrik is different from mulhid. Mulhid doesn't believe in God at all. Mushrik is the one who believes in more than one God. Maybe they believe in more creators. Maybe they believe in one creator, but then they have problem with other aspects. For example, they say there is one God as creator, but there are then lords who are in charge of different aspects of this world. Like Mushrikeen in the time of Jahiliyyah. The pagans in Mecca, they didn't believe in more than one creator. And they were not atheists. Yeah, they were not atheists. They were believers. But they believed that God has created the world, then has delegated his power to different lords, different idols. Okay? This is why the Quran says, وَلَئِنْ سَأَلْتَهُمْ مَنْ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ If you ask them who has created the skies and the earth, لَيَقُولُنَّ اللَّهِ They would certainly say, Allah. Even idol worshippers, they would tell you, Allah has created them. So why then you worship these idols? Their answer was, وَمَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ إِلَّا لِيُقَرِّبُونَ إِلَى اللَّهِ we only worship them so that they take us nearer to God. They thought these have some authorities, some position, that by doing something for them, you can get closer to God or you can make sure that what you want can be obtained. If you want rest, if you want child, if you want good harvest, you know, you can do something for these idols and you can get what you want. So this is also shirk. So any idea that rejects unity of God in different levels, unity with respect to essence, to qualities, to action, to worship, this is shirk. 
But then we have also shirk as a kind of practice. There are people, maybe we are also included, that in aqidah they are clear. They don't believe in shirk. But in practice, they suffer. For example, if we believe that anything other than God can be bringing good to our life or bringing bad to our life, both of them are shirk. Sometimes you don't believe in theory, but in practice, you act as if you believe. For example, I try to please my boss or to please, you know, someone who has control over, I don't know, some office or country, whatever, so that I can get my risk. I think it's this person who is responsible for my risk. I have to do something immoral. I have to forget my duties towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because I want to please this person because if I don't please this person, then I would have problems. So this is shirk. This is called shirk khafi. This is a hidden shirk. So you are not going to a temple to worship idols, but in your heart and mind, you are serving idols. These idols can be people or money. I think it's my money that brings me security. It's my money that brings me, me prosperity. So any person who in his or her day-to-day -day life puts his or her trust in anyone or anything other than God, he has some kind of shirk or she has some kind of shirk. It's hidden shirk. It's very difficult. Or if we do things for the sake of anyone or anything other than God, if there is no sincerity in intention, purity in intention, this is also shirk. It can be riya, we want to show off, or it can be to please people without considering that this is for the sake of God. Sometimes I please people for the sake of God, but sometimes I want to please them for their own sake. So this is also shirk khafi, which is very, very difficult to identify. You know the hadith which says, the example of impure intention is like a black ant walking on a black rock in a very dark night. If night is very dark, it's a black stone and then black ant, how can you identify this ant? It's very difficult. So sometimes we think our intention is pure. After some time we realize it was not pure. There is a story that a person used to go to the mosque for Salatul Jama'ah very regularly. And he was always trying to be early 
so that he can go to the first row. Because there is great sawab for those who say the prayer in the first row. Okay? So, once he was late. For some reason, he was late. When he was going to the mosque, he felt very bad inside. What should I say to people when they ask me why today you are late? And then he took this seriously and further investigation showed that maybe every day I was trying to go early so that people think that I am a good person or at least people don't say he's a bad person. I don't want to lose my position in the eyes of people. So after many years, he realized that his intention was not sincere. It's very difficult to understand. Or another example, you know, ulama mentioned is how riya is difficult, you know, to understand. For example, sometimes in public you do something. For example, in public you say your salat very slowly, beautifully, with sukoon. Okay? In home it's not like this. Then you say to yourself, I should say my salat in the same way at home as well. So you start saying your salat in the same way at home as well. But ulama say there is a chance that now even in home you are doing riyah. Why you are doing your salat in home slowly? Because you want to have a justification to do riyah in the public. So you are deceiving yourself. So now even in home you have problem. So you are saying your salat slowly at home so that without hesitation you can say your salat slowly in the public. You see how difficult it is. Or you know, Shahid Sani Rahmatullah says about for example in Muniyatul Murid that an alim sometimes feels that I should be happy if people come to me and they don't go to another alim. Imagine, for example, there are two alims, they have two masjids or two madrasa. Okay? So, if you are doing something for the sake of Allah, what should be your feeling if someone? doesn't come to you and goes to the other alim. If it is for the sake of Allah, it shouldn't make difference. Yeah, we are here to serve. We don't want, you know, to become popular. But shaitan is very clever. Shaitan says, the reason you are worried why your majlis is, for example, less attended, your mosque is less, or your, I don't know, madrasa, because you know how much sawab is there when people learn from you. You don't want this sawab to be given to someone else and you lack it. So this is why you want to bring people to your matrasa or to your masjid. You know how much shaitan can deceive us. You have majlis for Imam Hussein and you want to majlis be very 
crowded. Why? Because I want sawab. Otherwise, I have no interest in fame or whatever. But shaitan can be deceiving you. If you really are doing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it shouldn't matter to you whether people go to your majlis or another majlis. Yes, is that majlis is a bad majlis is another issue. If people are going to be misguided there or do bad things, that's another issue. But unfortunately for us, sometimes or many times, our concern is that my majlis must be more crowded. And then to justify this, I try to find problems in other majlis. Say that majlis has this problem, that speaker has this problem. So I try to justify for myself why I am thinking this way. I'm not saying it's always the case. But I'm saying there is a great chance that our nafs, with the help of shaitan, they are deceiving us. So it's very, very difficult to get rid of shirk in all different dimensions of our practice. Maybe in aqidah it's not very difficult. But in practice, it's very difficult to be a muwahid like Ibrahim, like Rasulullah, like Ahlul Bayt, it's not easy, it's very difficult. It needs practice. Then there is a discussion in the book, which is the last discussion in this unit and this session, is whether asking, for example, the prophet or imams or holy people to help you when they are alive or after they die. Is it shirk? <coughs> you know, there are some people who say that it's shirk to ask Rasulullah to help. It's shirk to do ziyara of Rasulullah, for example. Even, you know, they say if someone goes, you know, in some of the publications, they distribute during Hajj. They say if someone goes from his country and the intention is to perform Hajj and do ziyara of Rasulullah, they say this is haram and the Hajj is void because shirk. This is the way of thinking that they have. Once I had a discussion with one of them in Birmingham and of course, I don't normally volunteer for discussion uh, unless there's a request from the other people and there's a real interest. Anyway, this person was saying that it's shirk to go for ziyara and, you know, to, uh, for example, ask Rasulullah for help. I said, if Rasulullah is alive, imagine Rasulullah is alive. If I go to him and ask Rasulullah to help him, help me, is it shirk? No. For example, you go to doctor. Why do you go to doctor? You ask for help. You go to your teacher, ask for guidance. You ask your mother, for example, uh, you know, can you help me? Your father, can you help me? Is this shirk? No. Why? Because you are a believer in God, you are a Muslim, and you know and everyone knows that you don't go to them thinking that they can, independent from God, help you. As a Muslim, when I go to doctor, 
or to teacher or to my mother or father. I know these are servants of God, but they can help me under the authority of God. And this is the way the world works. Why do you eat? God can make you feel, you know, full without eating. Why you eat? God can give you energy without eating. Why you eat? Because this is the world of asbab, causes and effects. And Allah has wanted us to go through these effects. Allah himself says in the Quran that when they do injustice to themselves, if they come to you and you ask forgiveness on their behalf, and they ask Allah for forgiveness, they will find Allah the most forgiving. If when they do injustice, they come to you. And then, So Allah himself is teaching people to go to Rasulullah and ask Rasulullah to pray for you. Rasulullah cannot forgive. We don't have any doubt. In Islam, no one other than God can forgive. Okay? We don't have this concept of confessing your sins to a priest or imam or Rasulullah. No. Allah can forgive. But in the same Quran says, go to Rasulullah and ask Rasulullah to pray for you. Is this shirk? He said no. But he said, this is when Rasulullah was alive. When Rasulullah passes away, we shouldn't go and ask him for help. I said, okay. What I can understand is someone saying that after Rasulullah passes away, this is, for example, useless. This is not working. But I cannot understand then how it becomes shirk. If it was shirk, so even when he was alive, it is shirk. If it is not shirk, it doesn't make difference whether he's alive or not. The maximum you can say is this is not beneficial. So please stop talking about shirk. This is not shirk. We believe this is influential. Why? Because we believe that Rasulullah is still alive and even Rasulullah's life is now much more stronger than when he was confined to this physical world. If you believe Rasulullah is dead, na'uzubillah, this is your understanding which doesn't fit into the Quranic understanding of life and death. But please don't talk about shirk. This is not shirk at all. It doesn't make sense. It shows your lack of understanding. What is shirk? You are just using shirk as a kind of, you know, weapon to say people are kafir and mushrik. So, if you think anyone or anything can have a role in this world independent from God, this is shirk. But if you believe that someone can have an impact under God, this is not shirk. You have just to prove it. You have to prove it. You cannot say that, for example... I believe that this person has an impact because, for example, this is famous or because he claims. No, there must be a proof. You know, some people believe in superstitious ideas. They think that if you do this, for example, you know, you can gain, you know, what you want. 
This brings luck. This brings, you know, misfortune. These are superstitious ideas. Even if they say it is through God, they have to prove it. But it is not shirk unless they say these things can be independent. Quran says that Isa ala nabiyyina wa alayhi wa salam was reviving the dead was giving life to a statue of a bird was giving healing to blind people this is not shirk why because he was doing this so if we ask rasulullah to do this of course we we mean we don't mean rasulullah do it by yourself don't ask allah for help this is not our mentality we ask rasulullah because we know that he is a pure servant of Allah and he has been given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the permission to help to do shafa'ah. This is the right of Rasulullah to do shafa'ah according to the Quran. Indeed, tawassul is a kind of humbleness, you know. Why we do tabassul? In Islam, alhamdulillah, we can always go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? You can always go to Allah. You can speak to Allah in any language, any time, any place. Alhamdulillah, this is great, you know, blessing. Allah has given us permission and has actually encouraged us to talk to Him. In any language, any time, any place. Okay? Alhamdulillah. I don't need to wait for a particular day to come or wait for, for example, my Imam of Masjid to come and help me. No. Anytime I can call Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when I look at my sins, my problems, my shortcomings, I feel that although I can call Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but I need also someone that has a position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to come with me, to help me. I feel embarrassed to go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly. So I want someone who is respected, who is actually recommended by Allah himself to help me. This is the concept of shafa'ah. This is a sign of humbleness. Your humbleness it's not only when you bow down before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your humbleness is demonstrated when you believe that there are also people who are better than you. If someone denies that Rasulullah is better than him and Rasulullah can help him, then this is arrogance. Even pious believers can help us. We ask them, please pray. I don't see value in my du'a. Although I do du'a, it's not that I stop doing du'a, but please, you pray for me. You say to your parents, to teachers, to ulama, to pious people, please pray for me. You ask even children, innocent children, please pray for me. This is a sign of humbleness. It's not shirk. It has nothing to do with shirk. It's actually quite opposite. Not only you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you believe that Allah is so high and you are so low, that you need someone better than you to help you, 
in being able to talk. It is maximum Tawheed. Okay, this is the last point in this discussion. Inshallah, from next session, we will talk about anthropology. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us, so we have to know more about ourselves. What Allah has created in us. If we understand our creation better, then we can understand the plan that God has for us better. Because God doesn't create anything in vain. He has a plan for us. First, let us know ourselves better. Then we will see what is the plan of God. So unit four, we will talk about guidance, which gives us the plan of God. وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين